It's good to see all of you again this evening. We have uh, the young people back, and uh, that's good. They've made a safe trip back. They had a good weekend together. And tonight and next week, actually, we're going to uh, be talking about criticism. I'm trying to figure out where to start. Who to start with, maybe. I don't know. I'll tell you what, it won't be here. It won't be the preacher. We'll, he'll be the last one on the list. But there are criticism is something that uh, we need to learn how to do. Because uh, if you'll look at what was just read in Galatians 6, um, we are called to correct, uh, to help people who are have made some bad choices in their life, who have been overtaken in sin. And, and if I don't know how to do that well, then I can do more harm than good. Um, sometimes people criticize, but they're not very good at it. I heard the story about uh, two taxidermists that were um, a little upset because another guy opened up shop in, uh, just down the block. And so they kind of took a stroll one afternoon and walked down in front of his shop and looked inside there. And there was an owl in the store window. And they went, oh, this guy's setting up business. Man, that thing doesn't even look real. That, well, look at the way the talons are. Uh, he, he didn't get the talons right. And the next guy said, well, look at the beak. The beak is open. It, it's not natural looking. And, and the feathers weren't set right. And they just ripped that owl up one side and down the other. Not being natural, this guy will never make it in the business. And when they finished, the owl turned its head and winked at him. <laughs> Sometimes we, we don't criticize very well. And uh, our criticism is unfounded. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, there are times when our brethren become overtaken in a fault. And he says, not just to anybody, but to those who are spiritual, it is our job to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, that restoration process involves two things. I I need to know how to talk to them. Because if I don't approach them in a proper spirit or in a proper attitude, I I might just turn them away. I might say the right thing in the wrong way, and they will never never have anything to do with me again. Also, there's a tendency and there's a, there's a danger of when I go to someone else to point out the mistakes that they've made to try to encourage them to come, I, I, I can develop a haughty attitude. I'm better than you. I've had to come and help you out and point out your problems. And, and you do so much better if you just start acting like me. And you've probably met people with that kind of an attitude, and and that's repulsive as well. And it's detrimental to our own selves because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. So learning how to say the right thing, to offer correction to another person, I think is a discipline that we probably should work on and think about. And next week, on the flip side of that, I think we need to learn how to take it, to accept it. Don't just dismiss all criticism and view people who criticize you or try to correct you as, as cranks, because that's not the case either. I'm, I'm thankful for those who, would, who will uh, instruct and criticize and correct me in a way that is done, uh, that is helpful to me. Bottom line, and really I guess we could just kind of sum it up this way, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 tells us, do unto others, paraphrasing, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If we would just do that, that would solve everything. 
But let's get to some specifics this evening as to how to offer criticism and some things that we should do to, to make our correction come across in a way that will be beneficial to the person as well as to our own selves. Well, the first thing that we need to realize is that we should criticize the action and not the person. Uh, we do that with reference to our, our family, to our close immediate friends. We, we are able to separate the sin from the sinner. Now, when it comes to other people, we sometimes question whether we can really do that. Now, I don't know if you can really separate the sinner from the sin. No, you, you can. It's just a choice of whether you choose to do that. You see, we do it with our own children. We do it with our spouses. We do it with our moms and dads because we love them and we have a relationship with them and we know their heart and we know when something that they do is out of step and out of character for them and and we're patient with them because of our relationship to them. We need to take the same approach to one another here. Um, And when I don't, it betrays the commitment that I have to you and that you have to me. We need to learn, well, Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul goes through that chapter and he, he talks about this, this warfare. Uh, in the flesh, he's tempted to do these terrible things. In the spirit, he wants to do right. And, and it's just a battle, a daily grind. And he says, that, you know, the, I know there are things I shouldn't do and I do them. And, and the things that I should do, I don't do. And it's not me. It's the sin that is in me that causes this conflict. If you knew me, you would know I want to do what's right. But sometimes I'm weak and sometimes I make mistakes. Folks, give people the benefit of the doubt. When you go to correct somebody or to help somebody to get back on track when they've gotten off track, understand and give them the benefit of the doubt that they love God just as much as you do, that they've, overbent, they've just simply been overtaken in a fault. They need help and strength and and direction back to the the path of righteousness. The psalmist in Psalm 25 and verse 7, I I think, just speaks where we should all speak. And I can understand his words because I'm right there with him, and so are you. But he says in Psalm 25 and verse 7, he said, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth, but remember thou me. See, the psalmist said, oh, I've done some terrible things, and I don't want you to hold those things against me. I've done things that are out of character, but Lord, don't remember those things. Remember me. I I, want to serve you. The, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so when you go to talk to somebody, understand that this person, just because he's done this or that, doesn't mean he doesn't love God anymore. This morning we talked about uh, being quit dating the church and, and fall in love with the people of God and with God himself. And one of the things that holds people back is that they see the, the frailties in members and they, they know the scandals and they know the shortcomings and the pride and the arrogance and all the sins that, that are responsible or that, that we as members of the church are sometimes responsible for. And we allow that to keep us at arm's length from the people of God. We don't have a right to do that. 
I mean, the only person who has a right to reject is the Lord because he's perfect. And he hasn't and he won't. How dare I hold the church at arm's distance when I myself am a sinner? And I have my own set of weaknesses and frailties. So understand that everybody's on the same page. Give each other that benefit of the doubt. We're all trying to go to heaven and we all struggle and we're all tripped up from time to time with sin. And when those things happen, don't judge my motives. Don't judge my character. Don't question my, my loyalty to God. Count it as though I am weak and uh, I've made a mistake and have stumbled. And that will go a long way as you treat people in that res- uh, respect and, and give them that benefit of the doubt. That will help. A second thing that we need to do when we criticize and correct is that we should correct in private when possible. There are times when I've seen, and maybe you have too, have you ever seen anybody just absolutely humiliated by another person? Uh, you know, it, whoa, did I hear him right? Well, I'm going to jump him or jump her, and, and I'm going to do it in front of everybody, and it's going, to, it's going to embarrass them. I remember a couple years ago, there was a, a situation where a, a mother and a father, their son had gotten engaged to a girl that was trouble. And they were very upset at the situation, as any parent would be. And this was devastating to them. Somebody that knew them came up to them, knew the situation, knew how hurt they were, came up to them and said, Oh, I heard your son got engaged. Congratulations. They just wanted to make him squirm. That was the purpose of saying that to them. They wanted to humiliate them in front of other people and watch how they reacted to news that they knew was devastating to them. And how terrible is that? When, when we see it in black and white like that, we say, man, what, what kind of person would do that to another person? But sometimes we're, we're guilty of that. In John chapter 21, when Jesus and Peter, well, the last time Jesus and Peter had any contact, Peter had denied him and runs away, and Jesus is crucified. And now Jesus raises from the dead. An angel has to say to the disciples, have the disciples come and meet Jesus, and he includes, and Peter too. I'm sure Peter didn't feel like he was part of the group anymore. And so Jesus meets them. They're out in a boat, and he's on the shore, and he's fixing breakfast for them. And they come to shore, and they have this breakfast together. And you know it has to be awkward, because the last time Peter was with Jesus was when Peter said, I don't know the man. And Jesus doesn't call Peter's hand in front of the the other disciples and make this big thing right there. You know what? After they had finished eating, Jesus gets Peter, and they walk off. They, they, They get away from the rest of the guys, and they take a little walk. And it's then that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And that question was asked three times, and the restitution is made, and then the recommitment uh, of, or the, uh, of Peter, feed my sheep, is made. But that was all done in private. It wasn't done in a way to humiliate Peter. It was done in a way that was best to b- bring about restoration.
In Acts chapter 18 and verse 26, Apollos knew only of the baptism of John, and he was a, a, a preacher, and he was preaching this message, and he was mistaken about this point. And so Ananias and Sapphira took him aside and shared with him more perfectly the Word of God and corrected him on the side. You see, I see wisdom in that. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, and uh, verse uh, 16, the Bible says, A prudent man covers shame. A man who is wise is not going to broadcast another person's sins. They're shortcuts. He's, he's going to try to cover those things. I, I want to look out for your best interests. So I don't want to humiliate you in front of people. I, I want to do this low-key and, and in such a way that as few people as possible know about this whole affair. And let's get behind us and let's move on. If you're going to correct someone, do so in private as much as possible. Also... Don't exaggerate. When you go to correct somebody or criticize somebody of something that needs to be corrected, don't exaggerate. Because here's what happens when you do exaggerate. Well, if have you ever been in a conversation in your marriage maybe or to your children or something and you'll say, you never wash the dishes, you never make the bed, you never take out the trash. Never? Now, wait a second. I remember on our honeymoon in 1984, you see, I start looking for, I can go way back and I can find an exception to that statement and I can just dismiss everything that was said in that because I, shoot, that wasn't truthful. Don't give people the, the opportunity to find exception. Don't use those universals, those absolutes. Don't exaggerate. Again, in Titus 2 and verse 5, sound speech is the kind of speech we should use that cannot be condemned. Uh, Titus 2 and verse 15 says, Speak with all authority and let no man despise you or literally think around you. Don't let anybody outthink you. Don't present a case that people can shoot holes through when you go to them to correct them. Present a concise, fair case, well, like Nathan did when he came to David, and he said, you're the man. David couldn't take any exception to that. There were no holes, no, there was no wiggle room. All David could do is just say, I have sinned. And we need to be careful that we don't exaggerate, because that just raises defenses in another person. If I really want to, to reach that person, I'm going to try to make it as real as possible and not exaggerate my claims. Another thing that might help us is to consider our motives. Why do we do what we do? Why do we feel the need to correct this person or go to this person or criticize this person? Is it because you really are concerned about that person or is it because you have an opportunity to get one up on another person? Not everybody's personality just kind of jives with yours. Sometimes you'll meet people that just really, it takes an effort to get along with. And when you have an opportunity to, to put it to that kind of a person, sometimes we jump at those opportunities. Well, I got to say that. 
and they didn't have any come back. It, it's like twisting the knife. Do, do you correct to, to twist the knife in a person or do you correct because you really are concerned about the good of that other person? Galatians 6 and verse 1 gives us the instruction on that. He tells us to, to um, help people in a spirit of meekness. So when we approach them, let's really approach them for their good. And if I can't muster that goodwill, then I don't need to be the one to talk to them. If I have an agenda behind that that comes through, I don't need to be the person. Let somebody else do it because you'll just hurt your own, your own efforts. And then finally, and, and this will be the last one, is realize that criticism is not a talent. It's not a spiritual gift. God hasn't blessed you with the gift of criticism. And you need to develop that talent, that kind of thing. Listen, all of us need to correct. All of us need to criticize. But don't be known for that. There, there are better things to be known for. Yeah, sin needs to be corrected. I'm not saying anything other than that. And, and people need to be steered back and, and haul, uh, pulled back in. And, and we need to walk the straight and narrow. And when we begin to stray, people need to be encouraged to get back. I understand all that. I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. But don't, let, don't be the, the go-to corrector. Don't be the guy that when something has to take place. Let, do you remember the old commercial? This dates. Uh, younger people won't remember this, but do you, do you remember the old Life cereal commercials? Getting Mikey. Mikey hates everything. And let, let's give it to Mikey. Let Mikey try it. He hates everything, and he eats it, and, and he likes it. They were surprised. He likes it. Don't, don't be Mikey. Don't be the guy or the girl that it never can get along with anybody. They're always ha- they, they have that cantankerous, hard-to-get-along-with always picking, always looking for the negative. Don't be that guy. There are better things to pursue. Romans 14 and verse 19 says that we need to pursue love. We need to pursue the things that make for peace and whereby we might edify one another. We need to be a Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, Barnabas was nicknamed that because it means son of encouragement. The apostles called him that because he was just a guy. And, and when you read about Barnabas, you, you see him doing those things. He, at the beginning, he sells property and just says, here, guys, take this money and do with it what you want um, because there are people in need. And, and then you see him when nobody else would put an arm around Saul, Paul, after his conversion, it's Barnabas who says, here, I'll introduce you to the elders of the church here, to the apostles, and and help them to understand that you have changed. And it was Barnabas who was sent to Antioch when the, the church began there and the Gentiles had received the gospel. It was Barnabas that they chose to send up there because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And he went up there and he encouraged them to hold, to cleave to the Lord. Every time you see Barnabas, he's just, he's on top of the game. He's he's known for that. And let us be known for more than just criticism. And I'll tell you something else, too. If you're one who the only time you have anything to say is negative, you, you won't be heard. You'll get discounted. You'll be dismissed. Because everybody knows that's all you ever do. 
And so even though you may have a valid point, it's dismissed as irrelevant because, after all, that's all they ever do. You know who I really listen to? When a person who is my encourager, when a person who holds me up and supports me and and praises me and pats me on the back, when they have something to say by word of correction, they get my ear because they don't typically do that. And there must be substance to what they have to say, so I better listen. That's the person who is most effective in criticism and correction. And so be that person. Be the person that is constantly building up others so that when the day comes when you are called to correct and criticize, it will be received and people will listen and take note. But again, Matthew 7, verse 12 do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That, if you will approach people the way you want to be approached when you make mistakes, that's the key. Just treat people and live by the golden rule. Because we're all imperfect. We all need instruction from time to time. And, and when that instruction comes, I want the person that comes to me that needs to correct me, I want them to be gentle And I want them to be kind, and I want them to be understanding. And if you come to me that way, if I know my heart, you'll win me. And I think the same would be said of you as well. With a proper attitude, we can help one another mature and get past our foibles and our misgivings and our our imperfections and perfect ourselves more closely to the image of Christ. Let's help each other. We, we're not, none of us are perfect. We all need from time to time somebody to, to get us back on track. And let's do that. Let's love each other enough to do that here. And next week, we want to continue and finish up this short series with um, when that crit- criticism comes, how should I receive it? Is there a key not only to giving, but is there a key to to receiving criticism in a Christ-like way? And we'll talk about that next Sunday night. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you take this opportunity that you have to obey the gospel of Christ, to put him on in baptism, to become a member of the family of God. And as a member of his family, you become an heir of heaven and all that is God's. If you haven't done that, why don't you make that decision tonight? And if you are a child of God already but unfaithful and you want to, to, to draw that line in the sand and say, tonight I start, I turn over a new leaf, I want to do better, I want to more faithfully serve my Lord, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.